Because if we are saying we want to replicate the human intelligence, we'll never do it. I mean, not in the next <laughs> 50 or 100 years. Hi, everyone, and thank you for coming for the second edition of this podcast called I Scientist. My guest today is Jonas Gonzalez, who is a young researcher in my team, uh, who finished his PhD in 2020 at the University of Genoa, Italy, on AI and robotics, right? Yes. But of course, it was 2020 the year of COVID, so it was it didn't go as planned. And I really liked the way Jonas bootstrapped himself out of this problem. And I, I, I will hope to hear more about that. Uh, we will cover some topics on robotics, AI, uh, why robotics is important for AI, and how AI will help robotics. Uh, so maybe Jonas, tell us who you are, where are you coming from, why you chose this interesting domain, and how did you end up doing a PhD? Okay. So hi everybody. Uh, thank you, Balash, for uh, inviting me for this podcast. I'm really excited to talk about uh, our research together and the future of uh, AI and robotics. So my name is Jonas. I'm a Franco-Colombian. I was born in Colombia but raised in France. Uh, I would say that uh, I've been always been passionate about uh, science and understanding the, the world around us. So during my teenage, I was uh, fascinated by mathematics, physics, and actually for the little story at the beginning of my university, I wanted to be a, a theoretical physis physicist and work on uh, quantum uh, physics. Uh, so at the university in France, uh, how it works in the first year, you're kind of generalist. So I had... Uh, mathematics, physics, and computer science. And uh, beforehand, I had no idea about computer. I was using them for internet and uh, video games. And that was the first time I discovered coding and programming. And uh, I have to, to say it, uh, I've been a fan of it directly. From the first code that I wrote, uh, I remember was in Java. And uh, I really like the fact that you could program something to do uh, something concrete on your computer. So for me, it was uh, game changing. And so I switched my, uh, my plan and I decided to follow on this uh, domain. And I had the chance to, to add an introductory course on artificial intelligence. And for me, that was the, the revelation because it was the mix between computer science and uh, mathematics and the field of AI that was growing at this uh, at this age. And so here start my, uh, my journey into the AI and robotic fields. So I've been studying more AI and computer science, both together. So keeping always uh, a mathematical uh, background. So not theoretical, but the one that you need to do AI. So linear algebra, uh, calculus, uh, all of this. And uh, when I came to, to my PhD choice, uh, I wanted to explore the application into robotics uh, because for me, robotics is the perfect platform to do AI because the, the main goal of AI at the end is to reproduce uh, the human intelligence. And uh, for me, human intelligence, uh, you cannot dissociate it with the body. And that's why robots are the perfect platform. So I start my PhD, as you said, at the University of Geneva on robotics on AI. And I did my three years so working on how the, the tool could uh, be used um, to, pro to make autonomous agents that can learn and interact uh, with us naturally. And after this, I had uh, the chance to come to work with you at Huawei. Uh, that was driven because I wanted to get more uh, theoretical knowledge about machine learning and also to develop uh, my knowledge in mathematics. And uh, so far, I've been has been a success. I was very thrilled to work with you, uh, with the other colleagues that are wonderful. I learn a lot, and uh, I think also I bring also my point of view of uh, AI. 
and uh, but I'm really excited about uh, about this field I will discuss today. Okay, great. Uh, and we have a lot of interesting lunch conversations, which is why I invited you because <laughs> I think uh, the listeners would be also interested in those things. So when you said uh, you said something that uh, occurred to me like something that's not really what most of the people in the field think, which is that AI or intelligence is not separable from the body. So tell, tell, tell us more about this, because it's not something that most of the AI researchers think. I think most of us think that it's, uh, we are, the body is just supporting the mind and the mind is where the intelligence is. Yes, uh, exactly. So in cognitive science, especially you have this uh, uh, research area, which is called uh, embodied AI. And the philosophical stance is to say that uh, intelligence, the human intelligence, as, as we define them, cannot be separated from the body. Why? Because you have a continuous communication between the body and the, and the mind. And recent discovery in neuroscience uh, tend to confirm this, uh, this fact. Uh, we can think about the neural system that we have in our guts that communicate continu continuously to the to the brain which means we, we kind of kind of crude way to say that two brains but meaning that you have way more communication between our body and uh, the mind as we uh, represent it and in the history of ai uh, there were always this division where people thought that you can represent ai with abstract symbol or uh, through mathematics and only resume it to it. And whereas this embodied AI uh, researcher said that you need actually to have a body to develop along with the mind. So that's the, the main uh, stance of this uh, philosophy. Uh huh. So what do you think is uh, then the, all this uh, recent news about like GPT or language models which don't have a body? and people are afraid of them already. There is a, a lot of fear that if we put AI into things that can act in the world, it's more dangerous than just an AI that's sitting there on the computer and talks to us. And there is another school, I think, which we, we are a member of, which thinks that we should put AI into agents, because this is how it will be aligned to the world that yes. we live in, right? Yes. So what do you think about this? Uh, I think ChatGPT and GPT, so the foundation model behind it, uh, right now is making a lot of noise, because I think for the first time we have uh, a technology that is mature enough to actually produce something useful for the society and when I, I said society is more about company you can actually build from it and it works and this actually is one of the game changer especially in NLP because before it was a lot of uh, specialization so you had the, the machine learning engineer that had to understand well the problem and it will design a solution for this specific task right now the paradigm changed because we have this foundation model that is journalist and with few very good data set, you can actually fine tune them to do a specific task. And I think the hyper on that is this because it has very powerful application. But the problem with the media right now is that they don't uh, explain well all the, the theory behind what is all the construct, the human knowledge that has been injected in those uh, uh, technology and those tools. For me, the, those, those are tools. And that's what scary people because they don't really understand what is behind, uh, from my opinion. Uh huh. And so let's let's try to imagine the world where where we put GPT three in robots or in appliances, so you can maybe converse with your Wi-Fi at home to make sure that your connection is getting better, or you can converse with your oven, tell it when to stop eating so how, how what 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 will be different like how how will we live this from our perspective what do you think i think already uh putting chat gpt into robot there is a lot of challenge that we need to to face which right now the big company big tech company are uh, 
getting into it, which is multimodality, because when you're talking about robots, you have different sensor information. So you have, for example, cameras, audio, which audio can be then translated to text and then can be used for ChatGPT. But if we are talking just putting ChatGPT inside the robot, just a new interface, which the robot with embodiment will produce some uh, nice effect on socialization with the people. But at the end, behind the technology will will be as before. It will not. Uh, you just you just change the mean of the interface to communicate with. But uh, on the other scale, the one that where they are trying to build this multimodal foundation model. Yeah, I think it's very exciting in a sense. And my analogy for me is a little bit like our DNA. When we are baby, we don't come to life with an empty system. We have those foundation models, which has been developed and uh, uh, learned during evolutionary process. So in our brain, for example, the cerebellum is shared with very primitive species and the human brain built on top of it to develop more and more complex cognitive ability. And I think right now this foundation model can be seen as this, just as the starting system. But then, as you said, with robots, what is nice because they are embodied in the world, they can actually interact with us physically and naturally. You can then teach him like a, like a children. A children when you come to the to a baby when you come to the world, it's up to the society to to align him to the to the society. Um, how uh, do you say the society um, uh, reference and the, the society code, the cultural uh, code of uh, the society where you evolve. And we are also say, seeing this right now with uh, a different culture. For example, if you are raised, uh, I can talk about my personal experience between the Colombian culture and the French culture, European culture, you have a huge gap. The mentality are completely different. And that's because during uh, when I talk with my cousin, because they, they live in Colombia, not in France. They have different social code that they need to follow. And that will build our personality, the, the fact that I am. Mm. But this will depend on external context. And for me, it will be the same for the robot. You can teach the robot to be really bad. But uh, the important thing will depend on the other people that will teach the robot. Uh-huh. So what I find super interesting in this is that right now, and it's not very well known perhaps, that right now GPT-4 is one block of software. So everybody who talks to GPT-4 talks to the same software, same tool. It doesn't have memory. It has shorter memory so when you give it a prompt it can remember the prompt and this is why it's so powerful because that memory is pretty long so you can prompt it pretty in a pretty sophisticated way but when you come back tomorrow it will forget about your conversation and this is because it's 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 one big software that's running on a server whereas if you put it in a robot or any thing that has its own existence in time, yeah. it will, I mean, we have to solve some algorithmic problems there because we don't know how, exactly how to do this, but that's not so, it's actually not such a complex question as what we had to solve to get to the GPT-4 level. But once we solve those things, it will be able to absorb experience, learn for itself, which means that the software, the AI or the thing together, if you want embodied AI, it will have its own individual, you can say personality, right? Yes. And that means a lot of things that we take for granted as humans, like you have a different set of experience, different genes also, but different set of experiences that, as you said, your cousins who grew up in Colombia have a different behavior because they learn the different culture so when this will happen it will mean that it's not going to be one gpt4 it will be as many gpt4s as robots that have that capacity to speak but their experience will all be different and there are a lot of consequences i don't know what do you think about this because i, I have some ideas but that's uh, you know, you're totally right. So each robot will uh, develop its own 
experience so it's on data set if we can uh, talk uh, like this because at the end uh, those are machines that we are building so we have the full control of it and maybe people also the fear that people that uh, people have right now against uh, GPT models, foundation models. I think also, as you said before, is they don't understand that at the end, those are tools, software tools. I mean, a very shocking example is uh, when you, you are using ChatGPT, the model itself, as you said, can only process a prompt at a time. So how do you, how you manage to, get, to, to remember the context of the conversation? Well, actually what they do is they just re-inject all the conversions conversation you had so far into the model, into the prompt. And this is something that you have in the, in the backing running, but meaning that without this, uh, and this is pure coding programming, without this, the model is not able to be a chatbot. And so people doesn't understand this. The model is not able to, to, to do a real conversation. You need to have another technological, technological stack because it's a tool to actually make it seems that is a chatbot. But behind the scene, there is a lot of human engineering. And that's what people, I think, uh, miss and the media don't uh, advertise much. And so coming back for the robot, for me, that's exactly the, there is very, I think, difficult uh, challenge to solve. And one, as you said, is the fact that as soon as you put GPT into a robot, you will uh, per se give him dynamicity in the sense that it will uh, uh, last in time, as you said. That means it, will, it can collect, act in the world, collect data, be actor of where to collect the data. But also what we are doing right now is we are learning a deep neural network, but then we freeze them. That means that we only have point estimate of the weight of our neural network. And right now the field of continual learning, which is how we can update those weight and avoid the, the effect of catastrophic forgetting, which is when I learn a task A, I'm learning the task B without unlearning the task A. This is something that is not solved at all. Right now, the, the best technique that exists is to actually retrain a model from scratch from the data from task A and from task B. And this is a challenge that for me is uh, far to be solved. And the merging of the AI community with robotic, we'll have to face this to actually develop then a self and uh, everything that comes to it. But without this, we will just collect more data, increasing the data set, retrain, do a point estimate of our model and deploy it into the robot. But this is just a technological trick, it's a software trick. What we really want is like the human, human we think uh, of our brain is always evolving, always learning. Every night when we go to sleep, you have new connection that form, you have connection that deletes because of the experience you have of your day. It will reorganize itself always. And this, we don't have it with the artificial neural network. I see, I see. <clears throat> and another thing that um, comes in mind is when you start having experience, you remember that experience and that's a different type of memory than the, let's say, memory the GPT-4 has, which more or less we can call it semantic memory, same yes. uh, terminology as in cognitive science. But when you start to have experience, you develop what we call episodic memory, which is the memory of events that happened to you. And it's a memory that it's hard to externalize because it's actually happened to your body. So it's the, it's, it's the actual memory of your sensations that you had when that thing happened. And so I'm wondering what you think about this because then, then you know, I, I don't think we have any technology to do that. But the, one of the main thing, main, main problem why we don't have it is that we will equip the robot with sensors. We'll have vision, like a camera, maybe audio, touch, and there will be a lot of sensors. Like there are a lot of pixels in the camera if you want, if you just want to talk about computer vision. But in, in our bodies, we have a lot of neurons that are transmitting information from the outside world to the inside. And one of the things we can do very efficiently and very rapidly, because we have to, is to filter this information right and this is a very tough task because it's hard to learn it has to 
before you start learning facts, things have to be filtered. And this filtering is a very low level thing that happens very early in the, the let's say the information chain, information that comes from the outside and gets into your sensors and then gets into the, your cognition. And, and I don't think a lot of people are actually thinking about how to do this. So but this is for me one of the obstacles of why this will be hard to, to put AI into robots because somehow we have to solve this thing. The robot will have to know what's relevant in any situation uh, to actually sense, you know? Yes, I agree with you. So you have the, the bottom-up bottom process where you take the raw information from the sensory system. So we can uh, take the example of the human eyes. But also in a sense where they discover you have a lot of top-down process, which means that you have priors that you learn in your brain that you can re-inject into the, the sensory system. And one example of that is optical illusion. Optical illusion from the bottom-up process, you are sensing all the information that you need. But at the higher level, when you, for me, what you're saying about the filter, for me, I see it as the, the representation that you learn in uh, deep learning. It's a latent representation that is uh, uh, generic enough to then uh, to have nice property. A little bit like for me, GPT, the foundation model, they learn really good representation of the language that can then be used to perform different tasks uh, of, uh, based on the language. And for me, in the human brain is the same. Then after, when you have those representation, they can influence your perception. And that's really strong meaning that you have an internal model that you project to the outside. And this is what also the robot would have to do. And uh, I think also that's why I really like the, the access of research of model-based reinforcement learning, because there is the idea where the agent, uh, based on his experience, on his action, will build an internal model, an internal representation of the outside world that is going to be unique, because this agent, as we said, will experience different uh, data will also act differently from one agent to another one. Certainly, we'll have a very unique uh, uh, system model in this mind. And then also, what I think is important is to make them communicate to, to the other. And that's what also is, uh, according to me, one uh, aspect of the human intelligence, which uh, it's called cultural learning. We actually, our intelligence is also because it's built by interacting with, with each other. And like this, the internet model can kind of align to the same representation. And then we can build and talk about the world also that we are leading together. Because we all have at the end, even if we have different experiences, we have common representation that we can share and talk about it to express our and explain the world around us. Yeah, yeah, we bind. We bind to each yeah. other and we bind to realities through the sensors. And I agree with you very much. I think the number is 80%. So 80% of your perception is top down. 80% of what you see is coming from inside. And yes. only 20% comes in the other direction that updates or maybe change, maybe, maybe it changes what you see. And yes. it can actually go wrong. So this is one of my, my pet theories that you know, a lot of people think that intelligence in itself is something that evolution selects for. Yes. So it selects, evolution goes always in the direction of more and more intelligent beings. And it's, of course, there is one effect that goes against it, which is energy consumptions. Like our brain consumes like 20 to 25% of the energy that our body consumes. So it's very, very... Uh, energy hungry we need to eat a lot and so we need the intelligence to find the food and so, so evolution had to bootstrap out of this this loop but the, I, I there might be another thing which is when we start to build internal models it's there's a tendency of doing the projection too much and so you can build your internal model of the world and then instead of living in the world and looking at outside, you just start projecting your internal world onto the external world. And 
you basically become schizophrenic. So schizophrenia is, is, is this uh, mental illness where everything is about your internal model. And you don't have this machinery of, of trying to balance between what's coming inside and what's going from outside. You need the machinery of projection because this is where your knowledge is, whether you learn it or you were born with, which help you to navigate in the world. You couldn't live without an internal model. So every animal has it. But I think the more intelligent we have, the bigger this model is and the bigger the role of this model in perceiving the world to the extent where it can go wrong in the other way. So I have this pet theory that intelligence might have a, a limit where it just cannot handle itself, its own smartness. You see what I mean? Like it's, yes. it becomes too smart. It becomes too much holding to its map because basically this model, you can visualize it as a map that you construct about the world. And when the world becomes the map, it's as bad as when you don't have a map at all. Yes. So it's not something where intelligence is like the more intelligent you are, the the more chance you have to survive. Maybe there is like a, a non, 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 not necessarily physical, like energetic limit, but this kind of uh, in, in, internal limit of it, intelligence. So, so, and if it's true, then I'm not sure that AGI can happen, right? So that um, there is no, you know, I know I have no proof whatsoever about this limit, but this can be the case. So what do you think about this? That AGI cannot happen because, uh, if I understood well the question, because there is some limits in the in the internal yeah, so, model that yeah. you have. So, so let me maybe make it more precise. So when I miss, when I say AGI, it's not. So, so it's not that somebody something more intelligent than human, but an intelligence that can improve its intelligence indefinitely. Maybe there's a okay, limit, okay. especially so, so, so this is very much bound to your proposal of embodiment, because if we don't embody it, it, it doesn't have any stakes in misperceiving the world, you know, like GPT-4 confabulates a lot if it's not, you know, reined in with uh, reinforcement learning with human feedback. It, it, it makes up a lot of things. It doesn't matter. But once you have a body and you, it, your survival depends on limiting your confabulation, let's say, or if you act on your confabulation and you hurt yourself, you, you may die, then of course that will, that will be one way to sort of align the robots, right? Because it will have it will have to, to stop confabulating too much. We confabulate too, so it's not like we don't do anything of that sort, but there is a limit. And we are also face, always facing reality. So once you put it in a body, then this idea that I have may happen that uh, if it gets too intelligent, if its internal model takes over, it will die because it will not be able to adapt to situations that it has never seen. It, was, it will just always project the model out. See what I mean? Yes, yes, exactly, yes. So going back to what we said before, I think that's where the, the, the dynamic learning, the continual learning aspect is really important because this is ex exactly what we humans do. And also, I think one of the particularities of human intelligence is having the ability also to question our own internal model, which is what we call the consciousness, which is I am, and I can actually question my internal model saying, am I right? Mm -hmm. Or can I update my belief? And for this, I will go back also with the, the importance of uh, the society of the culture, because it's going to be the other that are going to, uh, with communication, with interacting, that are going to challenge your internal model. And this is what is happening. For me, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing the brain as a little scientist. And he's doing each time experiment on the world around him. 
And his goal is to develop the internal model that, as you said, a bit maybe linked with the energy consumption, which will optimize the energy consumption of the, of the machinery and, and to be coherent with the reality. And each time our brain can do a sample experiment to see what is going on, and it can adapt itself always. I'm, uh, I'm trying to, to visualize like this. We have a little scientist that is doing everyday experiments, and every night he connect, collect the data, and he can update his internal model. And to finish about AGI, I, in my uh, PhD, so uh, I was doing uh, cognitive uh, developmental robotics. So the goal is to try to replicate the learning path of the human into the robots. So as I said before, the idea is that you cannot go and program a 15 or 20 years old intelligence, but rather you should giving all the tools, the architecture, the cognitive architecture at the start, and then let him learn by himself, by interacting with people, by collecting data with the word. It's like uh, you are equipping your little scientist with all the tools he need to perform experiment. And this, for example, is something that uh, I see in research right now that we don't have, which is the continual learning aspect. We don't have this. Because right now we are good to learn for a specific tasks, but we, are, we, we don't know how to make evolve those models. I have a question on this because, okay, so it's a little scientist. So let's talk about science, <laughs> like the scientific method. Somehow, since Popper, 30s, you know, the falsifiability, so, so the scientific method means that you can all, only say things that you can imaginally falsify in an experiment. So if there is no imagined experiment that can falsify it, then it's not science, right? Yeah. And so the, the method that followed from this is a very pure method, is that you have a an idea, a hypothesis about the world, how the world works. And you design an experiment, which if it, if it, if it falsifies it, so it, it tells that your idea was wrong, you just discard it. If it doesn't, then you can add this idea to the set of things, propositions or, or statements that are you, I, that you think are true. Okay, you, you can never prove that something is true, but you can prove that something is false. It's beautiful, right? This is how all science works since uh, at least a, a century, even before, but since Popper, it's formalized in this way. There's one problem with this, and it relates to your little scientist in the robot, is where are these, where, where do these hypotheses come from, right? Okay. Who decides what experiment to do? Okay. It's sort of like a, a, an orthogonal question, a different question from truth. It's about the the value of the proposition. Yes. The meaning. Why why are you interested in this? And as a scientist, I started to be interested in this question of why did I work on the Higgs boson? Right. I'm an AI scientist, but I work with physicists and it was a lot of fun to work with them. So that's one answer. But I wanted to dig deeper, you know, why at all a group of people work on the Higgs boson, right? John Verbecki has this beautiful stack, if you want, <laughs> this computer science terminology stack of knowing the 4P where you have propositions, procedural, propositional knowing is what is true, what is false, procedural knowing where you know how to act. And by acting, you can achieve a value. So that's typically what we do in robotics or reinforcement learning. We formalize this and we do it. We learn how to act to achieve a good value, but it still doesn't tell you where the value comes from, right? And that's sort of the same question. And so, so Verbecki's answer to that is that it comes from embodied cognition. You yes. will be interested in knowing things that help you to survive. 
if something yes. hurts you that's bad but it's also important to know it right if it's something that you are neutral to it doesn't give you food it doesn't give you any new information it, it doesn't help you to live you can ignore it and this is what you remember i mentioned that this thing that we try to model the filtering that filtering depends on that level and it's it's a deeply internal kind of knowing he calls it perspectival this is where what he calls relevance realization happens when you walk in the room you take a sort of an identity let's say now i'm a podcast host but i can also work in a classroom and i'm a teacher or i, I walk in my 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 office and i'm the head of the team those are different identities i can take and re and, and the room around me takes another identity he calls uh, arena and so i have this agent arena relationship that manifests itself while you're doing things right so he says that the value that you will then learn how to achieve with the procedural knowing comes from this level things become valuable to you because you have a body and you 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 act or you live in a certain reality and so the glass becomes relevant because i can drink and yeah. i'm thirsty right so so the funny things about the higgs boson is the following i cannot really say how it's related to my embodied existence it still doesn't explain why we work on the higgs boson you right? can actually okay so, so, because i'm this is like my quest you know this is my and question why did i work on the higgs boson you can you can explain it by uh, what uh, i said before about the cultural learning okay because our society evolve always to favor the understanding of the world why because at some point of the history uh, we understood that understanding the world around us with mathematics uh, but also with tools allow us to develop a wider range of action on the world and that's what we are doing with ai ai we are just building new tools to try to understand ourselves at the end that's <laughs> what agree. we are doing i agree and this thing, this is something that uh, I don't think there is uh, right now uh, a clear answer about that is when you see the, the big apes, they have wonderful ability of adaptation, they can learn sign language, but they don't have this internal thrive to always uh, go beyond to always try to understand more more about uh, the world around us. And, I, can I, do might, I might disagree with this, but yeah, just skip your thoughts. But if you think about dogs, yeah, they go behind every tree to see what's there. So I think that this exploration behavior is, is is also in animals. Maybe not as uh, yeah, but it's more animals. it's more short term. Yeah, it's more that's like, true. That's I, true. That's true. It's short term. Yeah. That the 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 real and I think the real uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. thing that we will never manage. Uh, or at least it's really difficult to replicate is this cultural knowledge intelligence mm. that we have as a society is like if there's a bit like the emergence from all our history every humans we emerge some common knowledge that we are following like uh, we pursue research because we know that if you understand the the world more you can act on it you can prevent some uh, events and that goes for the uh, the x boson i mean uh, Einstein allow us to again explore the, the space, give us the GPS, quantum uh, physics give us the, the mathematics to do uh, miniature uh, cards, so transistor to do the computer. So everything is linked to the growing of the humanity knowledge. I agree. But still, it, it's maybe just me, but when I look at yeah, Verbeck is 4P. I expected to explain the value of the knowledge of the mass of the Higgs boson, let's say it's 125 Jev, which is, you know, to 
to be important for for my own existence and there is just no way you know my when my partner asks me about why am i doing that i know i don't have an answer i can say what you say but it's still not related to me personally so i've been thinking about this and the thing where it leads to at least in my mind is higher level collective consciousness and it's a little bit what you are getting at like how 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 the things this these meanings because basically it's what what i mean by value is that it's meaningful for something to know that the mass of the higgs boson is 125 jev it is meaningful for some being for the actual existence of some being for example it is meaningful for the collaboration of those 10,000 physicists who built the atlas detector and the lhc accelerator but that being is not a human it's a it's a collective and the reason why it could be very interesting in this current discussions on agi is because it's a different kind of consciousness and we already have a lot of experience with those consciousnesses like family couple you know in, in this sense the couple is an, is is not just the sum of the two persons who form the couple but it has its own consciousness that changed the behavior of the individuals inside the group yeah and so it's also an interesting way to pull the what's what this being is about because this the importance of the higgs boson sort of emanated into the individual physicist and it manifests itself as as you said it manifests itself as a human level value connection fun doing fun together looking at something that's we, we all look in the same direction we have like a goal that's higher that's bigger than us we are part of the things that's bigger than us so all, the, all this kind of what you can call religious feeling is basically the manifestation of this higher level goal at the human level so it became became like i was in another collaboration we were studying cosmic rays again nothing to do with my life you know i stayed eight years with that collaboration because it, i had so much fun with them and the number of people was like 150 who worked in it it's exactly the dumbbar number it's exactly the this this warm feeling of being in a human group that lives together and everybody knows everybody and there is enough gossip to you know live <laughs> because we live on gossip you know and, and all kind of things but at the same time we had this common goal and it was binding us and so this is what i got to like maybe the higgs boson is not relevant for me but it's relevant for this high order being and the reason yeah. this this might be interesting is because this is how we align ourselves to the society that's what you were getting at too like we we, we are in a we are connected to each other we talk yeah. to each other we communicate and this this group aligns us into itself right it's like a a higher level body so what i think about like alignment is exactly this like this is this is the way to, to go we just have to be careful how how we design the individual agent so it has stakes to survive so stakes like responsibility for itself but also responsibility to bind to reality and to us and then the rest is just sort of nature because this thing is is like nature you know you can you cannot go against it you know things bind to each other yeah it's true and of course we have evil and everything but still the group that survives controls the evil yeah it's true no, I, I agree with you and i think i would add also that uh, i mean the x boson for you was meaningful because as a society we we identified that this area of research was really important for 
the advancement of the society. And that's the same for AI. Why people are doing research in AI and everything is because it's foreseen advancement that is going to grow the humanity, solve problems. But I think going back to the, the, the value, how the value come from, I think that this is the particularity of humans because we have our primary value, which is our self-maintained, um, uh, maintain, maintenance in the, in the time, uh, like eating, uh, not dying, avoiding a, a risky situation. And what happened with human is like, we managed to solve this by bounding as a society. So we develop um, farms, so people were not, uh, were not liking food anymore. And this, when you, you solve those basic needs, what happened is like, then you create new one. And that's for me, the, the particularity of human. We always find new goals that will define the value then that we put to the thing. It's like right now, uh, we, could, we could stop. I mean, all the technological stance of the, um, uh, the, um, the increasing of always uh, increasing the economy, always increasing the, the, the money of the state. All of this, it just constructs of our society. But not, interestingly, the value of that, uh, and right now we can see it, is bad for the, for the environment. You have a lot of inequality in our society. But nonetheless, we are still keeping those value functions, which right now, for example, would be to get money, uh, to get a career. All of this is a construct of our society. And that's where then I think in the discussion of AGI, first, we must identify what we want, what we want to build, actually. For me, for example, uh, I can. what I want to build is a robot that is able to evolve in our society with us naturally can learn new tasks and adapt but for now i don't want him to be a human that create his own goals and uh, and great that tense will uh, be a person being it's going to be a tool a wonderful tool but it's going to be a tool and i don't we are far away right now at the level of neuroscience but also art science mathematics to mimic the fact that you can create your own goals that you create, you create uh, uh, this society knowledge. All of this, we we are very far away of that. That's why when we talk about AGI, I think we we need to to put a goal. Because if we are saying we want to replicate the human intelligence, we'll never do it. I mean, not in the <laughs> next fifty or hundred years. Because the tools that we are right now are, are so far away from the functioning of the human brain. I mean, when you see a deep neural network, as I said before, it's a point estimate of the weight and then it's frozen in time. Aye. Whereas our brain is always updating its internal model, so it's completely two different things. Then can we approximate with these tools some aspect of the human intelligence? Yes. And for me, as I said before, the, the main challenge is to put what we have right now in AI, which I think is mature, to port it to robots, and to work on the, um, on the dynamicity. So a bit like in uh, reinforcement learning, you let the agent then uh, interact with the environment, collect data, and you will see what happens. And I think we can replicate the level of intelligence of a dog, where you could have a robot that is aware of himself. He's not conscious our our level, but he's conscious of his body. He knows that uh, he has to avoid to fall, to not break. And he has the plasticity to learn new tasks from his affordance for the, from his capabilities. This is what dogs are doing. I mean, you can dress dog to guide blind people. You can dress dog to uh, to rescue in a catastrophe. And this is what we want right now, I think. But for me, it's really important to put the, the cursor of AGI, what we want. Because right now, also, the the discussion and all the, the fear of the societies because they, they, they really think that right now we are going to aim for human intelligence and then from all the sci-fi uh, uh, culture about the books and the movie, they see that people, the robot will get uh, uh, conscious. He will realize that the human are the, the illness of the world and he will try. For me, this is projection first of our own fear on a system that it doesn't work like us. So it will, it will never reach this. 
because we, we start from two different bases first and two right now the technology that we have we can we can actually go inside the, the robot brain so the code and we can change it if we we don't like it that's something that also people don't understand it's not like something is an uncontrollable if it doesn't work as expected you just shut it down i mean <laughs> chat gpt is that's a, what is my neighbor said like what's the big deal you just turn it off <laughs> Turn it up because it will not have this uh, oh, this willingness of self-replicating all the internet like you can see on some movies, and this is pure something. So let me let me steal on some of the counter arguments because I mostly agree with you. I am perhaps more optimistic on the end because I think we, if we start to put AI into bodies that are conscious about themselves. There is no theoretical reason why we couldn't get to human consciousness, but that's that's a, that's a long discussion, and I definitely agree with you that it's very very far. But the reason it's far, and I think we also agree on that, is because bodies are so hard to build. So so it's so funny for me that all the science fictions of like hundred years ago or fifty years ago were about robots, and the robots were dumb, like you know. Uh, I don't know, Star Wars. But they already had their bodies and they were not falling. They could move. <laughs> they were just stupid, you know? <laughs> it's exactly the opposite what happened. We had the language mod mod module of the robot, but we don't have the body. <laughs> so, it, yeah. I mean, it took 15 years for Boston Dynamics to make a robot that can walk like humans. And that's, that's kind of the speed with which this domain advances. And... I remember you telling me that you you worked with real robots and they they break and that's the big problem of doing robotics research right yes uh the yeah the main problem is like you're working also with very uh expensive device uh you need a team of engineer because to fix a robot is not something that <laughs> is easy so you need to understand electronics because it can be a cable that had just been unplugged I mean, this is also what you need to realize when you build a robot is like electronic. So that means that if one cable just disconnected, the information <laughs> doesn't flow anymore and the robot is useless. I mean, that's what people don't. I think people tend to overthink about the robot. They think about uh, very complex technology, but they don't understand that it's the same technology that you have on your smartphone, on your computer, and they are not afraid about, about it. And it's exactly the same thing. And uh, I agree with you that uh, right now we could not explore the embodied AI first because I think the field of AI was not mature because we have the winter of AI where people thought that with expert system and uh, rule-based uh, programming, you could replicate all the human intelligence. They realized that will not uh, do it. And then we had this winter until deep learning kickoff that had driven approach. And there we saw that you could actually do something. But what happened is like this uh, research area got disconnected from the robotic uh, research. Robotic research, I mean, when I was beginning my PhD, it was not uncommon to see uh, art-coded uh, methods, for example, to detect object based on, on the color. Uh, so you you change your color space to HSV because it's uh, more robust illumination. And then on the V value, you can actually isolate a range, which is the red. And so if you see a red ball, you can uh, track only the red ball. But because it is a range, you can you kept also other stuff. So a lot of engineering to do that. And that's what was the state of robotic five, six years ago. Then deep learning. Right now is mature enough because we have GPT, we have segment anything from Facebook, and also the computer vision field has been mature from several years now. And now they are ready to be put onto the robot. And uh, as you said, also the the challenge is to develop a platform that allow for errors, because we could not. That's something also that I think in AI. Uh, we don't value much is the fact that you can actually be wrong and there's nothing wrong about it it's nothing wrong to to fall or to do something wrong because you can actually learn a lot 
you can learn a lot from your mistake. This is Unless the, the you main break point. yourself. Unless you break yourself. That's why first you need also to have a platform that is robust that can for like, like little uh, children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I there mean, was uh, this video about these two little robots playing soccer. The funny thing was about the padding on them. You know, they fell all the time, but they, they it was soft, so they got up. Yeah, and it's by falling also yeah. that they can know that this is not something that I want. Yeah. But if you break and you, you break completely, then we can think about the existence of the robot is finished. So if you break, that's it. So you don't know, you don't, you cannot learn how to recover from it. You cannot have introspection from it. So yeah, for me, the, the, this is one of sort of the limitation, which right now you have a lot of company going into the development of a humanoid robot. I mean, uh, last week, uh, I think uh, three different startups uh, uh, advice, uh, advertised their, their humanoid robots. OpenAI uh, is collaborating with a startup on humanoid robot to actually merge two. And I think right now is the, is the moment of the merging. AI is mature enough. Robotics uh, on the hardware and all the, the, the libraries to make a robot is mature enough also. And now we, we are ready to do the merging and to solve also the problem of doing the merging. Mm -hmm. Then you have a lot of uh, uh, difficulties, challenges that you need to face for the robot. One, for example, when you see GPT, GPT was trained on a, a trillion of data points, but it has been, is very diverse, but is because they scrap all the web you have a lot of all, all the information that the human exactly is what's relevant right. of this is does, doesn't know yeah but the robot the problem is like when it will evolve into a, a very close environment with always the same thing i mean uh, nobody change every day their furniture so the challenge will be how you learn from a very small sample size mm. And that's what I said before is my, my stance is like, you can actually use the foundation model as a starting point and refine by the experience of the robot on his own experience, the, the foundation model. Okay. So what's your dream, Jonas? Where do you want to be in uh, five, 10 years? What, what do you want to be known for? <laughs> My dream, actually, I realized that uh, this year working with you, uh, I think I have a mind that is pretty well suited for uh, application engineering. So uh, I think uh, I'm very curious. So I, I read a lot. Uh, I like to learn new stuff. But then I think my, my friend will be to connect things. So I will not maybe do theoretical math, uh, invent a new algorithm. But I think my friends identify it is uh, to see the connection between several work seven research and merge them together. And so right now uh, I'm really excited about uh, my, my next step in research because I'm going to exactly do the merging that I was talking where uh, I have people, I'm going to work with people with you that you're expert more in AI without the, the robotic um, knowledge because as I said before, the, there were two disconnected branch. And right now what we can do is merge to the two of them together, as I said, and experiment, do something actually on the real world. And so in 10 years, uh, I will either follow in pure research, trying to achieve this goal, because I really believe that uh, right now, uh, AI is mature enough to be merged with robotics. You have a lot of challenges to face, but we will face them. And we will reach, maybe I'm over optimistic, but the human dog, uh, dog intelligence, for sure. I can foresee in 10, 20 years, we will uh, we'll have a dog intelligence. So you will have like you... dog intelligence embodied into artificial yes. dogs. Uh -huh. Yes, okay. it could be humanoids, uh, but it will not be able to have uh, all the uh, very complex high level intelligence of human, but it will be able to know that you need to maintain itself. He can, he's aware of his body, he's aware about his environment, so he can uh, navigate freely. He can plan tasks to accomplish something. And especially, he can learn new tasks easily mm. based on his affordance and his capability, of course. And we can communicate to it what the task would be. Yeah, for me, that's one of the main requirements that you need also to develop. 
So this is the field of human-robot interaction, where you try also to understand the, all the social language, unconscious social language that we human use. Something that you don't, you are not aware because it's unconscious. But looking into the eyes, for example, when you are collaborating with someone, actually the gaze is a rich source of information to make two people collaborate efficiently. Because uh, when you are inferring where the other is looking, you can infer in which object is going to be in the next step. So you can anticipate his action. So you can actually plan better to get the better plan. And I think this has also to take in account for the robot design. Yeah, and dogs know this actually. Yeah, and dogs are good dogs on this, this. But not, not a lot of animals. Yeah. On keeping uh, so, those social cues. I mean, also yeah. something stupid, but the voice. Dogs know that when you raise the voice, something bad happened. Imagine for robots, it's perfect. You, you can have a negative reward just by yelling at it. And that's how, for me, we are going also to do the alignment. If we are a robot that can naturally interact with us, they are equipped with an architecture that allows them to learn uh, in a continual way. We are the one that's going to align them. Every people will be responsible to align the robot to yeah, like you do with your kids, you are like you do with your kids, them. yeah. But uh, again, let me just steal on the argument that makes people scary. It's, uh, I think, what what people are scary of is uh, an agent like a robot. They are also even scared from software. But let's say a robot that can act in the world and. I can see the danger in this because it's physical. It can f even inadvertently fall on you and kill you. Uh, <laughs> and it's intelligent enough to execute your the value, the goal you give it, yeah. and even plan steps towards that goal, but not intelligent enough to see that the sub-goal it defined will just destroy you or destroy the world. So I think this is the the dystopian argument. So what do you think about that? I think it will depend also on the goal that you will give to, to the robot. So you have also a little bit of morality that uh, is embedded in each human. And as I see it right now, what could be done to to actually constrain this is like maybe only the company that is developing the robot can actually align them I mean uh, teach them and once they are fully uh, uh, oper operational you just release them without uh, the possibility to update their knowledge just a software trick you just disable the the retraining of the of the model and you give it uh, as it is to the to the people that will be a, a, a first like say security measure but on the fear of all the people, I think, depend on the eye research. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm totally fan about the Yann Lequin uh, point of view. And I think it has to do also with, as I said at the beginning of, of uh, this video, the podcast is we have a cultural knowledge. And Yann Lequin is French. And in front, we have a huge history of philosophy, of uh, we have the Enlightenment. And we have this kind of culture about where you need to think ahead, you need to understand deeply the stuff. We are really critics. And I think that making the right people to talk about that because he had this uh, philosophical stance, he's an expert in his field, so he knows the limitation. And he know that you cannot, you will, you will not bring the AI to destruction of the human and everything because we are the one that are programming it. We are completely at 100% we can responsible about the development of the AI. We have full control. As, it, as we said before, if something goes bad, you just switch it off, restart the, the parameter, and going back. And it will have no memory for the, the AI, will have no memory that you shut it down. Because we, we don't have this self-representation right now. We don't know what is consciousness in human. So how can we expect to have it in robots? No, but I think it's the this, the unconscious. It's it's uh, I call it the high functioning zombie. Like zombie is a, is a, is this mythological figure that mythology of modernity, let's say, this person who got rid of 
its personhood. It doesn't bind. The zombies don't bind to each other. They are just individuals. <laughs> Their brain is eaten. But they still have like these low-level functions of surviving, eating, and and they are not even evil because they are not moral agents, right? Yeah. And so my picture about this um, dystopian singularity argument is the high-functioning zombie, high-functioning in the sense that it's very capable of doing things, but it doesn't bind. It's not part of the society. It's somehow outside. I think the reason why we can fantasize about such thing is because of modernity, because the, the, the very reason why zombies are so popular is because they represent some, somehow the, the spirit of the time where we are like that, you know, like we disconnect from the world. And so this is why, you know, I think it's uh, the way to align robots and AI is going to go through by aligning or realigning ourselves. Yeah, totally. That's, I totally agree with you about the fact that uh, and I think Europe is starting uh, a journey in that sense where we wouldn't need to have a, a mondial consensus about uh, this, what is the next step. Because then after it's technology, it's like the the discovery of Einstein was used to make nuclear bomb. Well, it's the same for robots. You could use it to do soldier robots, but that will depend on the on our society, what we want as the next step for the humanity. But it's not the technology, is our self. We as humans, that we have the control. It's not that we are letting the control to the robot and we cannot do anything. No, no, we have full control right now. And this is where I think philosophical stance uh, expert in AI need all to collaborate to reach a framework that is safe, aligned, and then we can build on it. A roadmap, yeah. No, I very much agree. Okay, well, uh, it's been more than an hour, I think. I forgot to put my yes. <laughs> clock. And it was a lot of fun. Thank you very much, Jonas. Yeah. I thank you to you for the podcast. Uh, I really love to talk uh, well, with you. I mean, for a year and a half, uh, we always have this discussion. Uh, I think it's very exciting time that we are living on. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I'm more excited than fearful. But it's and... probably our psychological setup. That's another big topic. But yeah. <laughs> Maybe also I'm, uh, I'm a little bit naive because I'm, I'm young. I don't have the... So uh, I'm optimistic. And maybe I will... All Everything that I said about 10, 20 years... We're gonna eat uh, a wall uh, really, really quickly when the merging will will happen between robotic and AI, and we'll have the next winter. That also, that's people don't understand. We could totally go yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Uh, thank you, Jonas, and I uh, hope to continue your, the discussions with you real life. Of you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Of course. Thank you, Valas. <laughs> thank you, Jonas. Bye. 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 <laughs>